Now this morning, um, we are continuing through our series uh, through the book of Acts. And we're not going necessarily verse by verse or chapter by chapter. We're going uh, different stories, different people in the book of Acts and, and seeing what we could glean from their stories in history. And so uh, I want to do, is, if you're newer with us or, or if you haven't been here in a little while, what we like to do is review where we've been in the series to kind of catch everyone up. Uh, much like whenever you watch a TV show and, and it says previously on and it gives you the kind of the pertinent information from the previous uh, few weeks. This is your previously in the book of Acts uh, update. So uh, the first week, we, we looked through Ananias and Sapphira, and we basically talked about the idea that there is no sin so small that is beyond God's justice. They lied, and, and they did that sort of thing. There's no sin that's beyond God's justice, but there's no sin so great or so big that's beyond God's grace. So even the small sins are important for us to repent of and for us to, to work through, but even the big sins the blood of Jesus can wipe us clean. And that is something for which we are grateful. So no sin so small, that's beyond his justice, but no sin so big, that's beyond his grace. Week two, we talked about Pastor Dan Goodham, our youth pastor, came up and he, he shared the idea of Stephen and the crowd that the temptation will always be to follow the crowd. And when tempted by the crowd, yield to the Spirit. And because Timothy yielded, or sorry, because Stephen yielded to the Spirit, his witness throughout Jerusalem was powerful and then just continued on and we still know his story today. Then Pastor Evan came up the third week and talked about transition, said we are all in transition. Some may be terrific, some may be terrifying, but if we trust God, I'm sorry, but if we let God take charge, we will thrive. I said trust God because I knew it was the letter T. I just had too many T's in my mind. I apologize. Um, so some may be ter ter terrific, some may be terrifying, but if we let God take charge, we will thrive. And he shared the story of Philip and actually the whole story of Acts chapter 8. Week 4, we talked about uh, the story of Peter and Cornelius. And we said in order to reach those from the, on the outside looking in, God has to change us from the inside out. And when I showed up today and put my microphone on, I saw two pennies on the back there. So I assume those pennies were still from the sermon illustration that week. So thank you guys for leaving it there for me. Um, then last week, uh, we talked about um, uh, Paul and Barnabas, two people who had been called to be missionaries, but they had a conflict together. And as the, the story in Acts 15, how the whole church was able to get through a large conflict about how to handle do Gentiles have to become Jews in order to become Christians? And so the answer was no, but yet these two godly men still had a conflict. And we talked about how although conflict is common, our response to conflict must be uncommon. We must strive to be peacemakers, not just peacekeepers. And so out of those sermons, if you missed one, if you need to catch up, they're online at our website, Pomerado.com. They are also on our podcast. If you search on iTunes, Pomerado Christian Church, don't just search Pomerado. Search the whole thing, and you'll be able to find us there. But that's to catch us up, to take a few minutes to do so. And now I would ask that you would join me in a word of prayer as we get ready for what God has for us this morning as we talk through the other 12 disciples. Father, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for each person that is here. Um, I thank you for each person that's coming next service, and I thank you for each person that may be listening online at a different time, Lord, uh, because each person that is hearing my voice, wherever they are hearing it, is someone who is loved by you, who is formed by you, created by you, Lord, and with whom you would love to have a deeper relationship. 
So God, I pray that right now as we open up your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a powerful, personal, and impactful way to each person here, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we uh, begin this series, or this sermon called The Other Twelve Disciples, uh, we're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 19, if you want to start turning there. But as you're getting there, uh, I just have a question for you, and I just want to know, have you ever tried really hard at something, but no matter how hard you tried, you completely missed the point? So for me, I, uh, when I was a high school intern... Over at my previous church, I wasn't paid yet, and I was still just trying to help out. And I just said, hey, put me wherever you need me to be. And so uh, there, I was told that I was asked to go in the back and to help out uh, with the tech crew. And so that's why I'm always so grateful for those who are in the back, because uh, they make things run. Um, and I remember there was a time when the preacher, he was uh, another, he was on staff. He came in very last minute. And um, we're in a small room. He comes in and he's like, okay, I got, I got to go. He didn't tell us what the sermon was or anything like that. So he puts a ring and he just drops it right in the very back by the sound booth. And I'm like, okay, so I'm in the back there and I'm doing the sound or doing the, the slides. And all of a sudden he goes and he's talking and he's like, oh, oh, I, lo- I, lost, I lost my ring. He's like, where did I put my ring? And me really wanting to try hard, was like, oh, I, I know where it is. I go, I grab the ring, and I walk up, and I hand it to him, and then I walk back, and I realize that he was talking about the prodigal son and wanting to find lost things. <laughs> and I tried really hard to help him out, but I completely missed the point of what he was trying to say. <laughs> I was so embarrassed that I, I just, I wish that I was able to just hide behind the booth, and like, there was just like a little, like, uh, elevator that I could just like hide out the back. Like I was, and he's like, you know, uh, we don't always have people that are nice as JP. I'm like, oh, I ruined your sermon. Like I ruined it. <laughs> and I'm so sorry. So with that being said, I, I, I tried hard, missed the point. And I wonder if, if some of you have tried really hard at something and just completely missed the point. Maybe, uh, maybe it's the fact that uh, you had a friend who was uh, going through a hard time and, and you just wanted to tell them all the things that were wrong with their decisions, when really all they wanted was for you to be there. Maybe, husbands, it's, it's when your wife is sharing something that uh, is bothering her, is going on, and, and you pull out the toolbox and you just start trying to fix things. When all she wanted was empathy and someone to care and to listen and say, I'm so sorry you're going through that. Maybe it's, it's the boss who is trying to encourage employees by, by throwing a huge party and having this whole thing. And all the employees really wanted was for her to say, you're doing a good job. I value you. You're important to us. Maybe... It's the kid who tries to make their kids or their, their parents breakfast and spills the milk all over the floor and, and uh, just messes everything up, but they don't mess it up because those are really good moments, right? But there's many times where we try really hard, like we are intent about trying, but we could be intently doing something and completely missing the point. And so for us this morning, what I want us to really land on as we look at the other 12 disciples is this main point that we have that many disciples will focus so much on the repentance of sin that they don't recognize the importance of the Holy Spirit. Many disciples will focus so much on the repentance of sin that they will not 
or they don't recognize the importance of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that feels like a big shift from what we're talking about with like toast and milk, but let's dive into the scripture together um, and see where we get this main point and how that impacts our lives today. So again, we're going to be in Acts chapter 19. Uh, it's page 1724 in your church Bible. Uh, if you're following your own Bible or the, uh, your, your app, your phone, whatever it is, uh, that's great. But we're going to be in Acts 19, and we're going to read a little bit more slowly and kind of pull a few points off as we are going. So we're going we're gonna to take a little bit slow this morning. Number uh, Verse 1. When Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples, in verse 2, and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? We'll stop there for a moment. Apollos, if you don't know the story, in the previous chapter, in chapter 18, he was someone that was very well versed in the scripture. He was uh, schooled, he was Jewish, but he was schooled in Alexandria. So he was really, really well known, really, really educated, a really, really good speaker. But he shared so much and he talked in front of people that Priscilla and Achilla, they, they brought him aside later and said, hey, let me explain the full gospel to you because you're, you're only getting part of it. But the fruit of Apollos' ministry was great. And, and then he ended up getting set off to Corinth, which is where we get kind of that signal here that while Paul, Apollos was in a Corinth, Paul came over to Ephesus where Apollos was previously. And so Paul is showing up and, and he's meeting different disciples, different people who learned about Jesus through the ministry here in Ephesus, not only through Apollos, but, but influenced by him perhaps. And as he's doing that, he, he meets these disciples and and. It's very clear in the scripture that when we use the word disciples, we didn't, he didn't use the word crowd. He didn't use the word uh, seekers or anything like that. This, this understanding that he likely was introduced to these disciples here as being believers, as people who have believed in Jesus, that that disciple term was pretty specific. And so when he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And, and this idea is that when we believe in Jesus, that we recognize that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit takes place. It means that there is now the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of us. The Holy Spirit who convicts, the Holy Spirit who comforts, the Holy Spirit who guides, the Holy Spirit who intervenes, the Holy Spirit who shows us what's right from wrong. The world might say it's a conscience, but we know it's the Holy Spirit speaking to us. And we recognize that in the midst of that, we recognize that because of the fact that we believe that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is inside you and me and us when we believe. The Holy Spirit has great importance. But listen to the response of the disciples here in verse 3. He said, they answer, no. We have, or sorry, verse 2. No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. They've not even heard of him. And so then when Paul responds, then what baptism, in verse 3, Paul asks, what baptism did you receive? And, and they reply with John's baptism. So we're going to dive into that just for a moment, that John's baptism, uh, the idea comes from Matthew 3, verse 11, when it says, I baptize you, John saying this, uh, John the Baptist, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so when they say John's baptism, this is a baptism of repentance and a baptism of anticipation. Of I repent of my sins, but I'm anticipating that one who is greater is coming. And so 
when Paul is, is asking this, then they respond, we didn't even know the Holy Spirit was. Then he asks again, so what baptism did you receive? John's baptism. And Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And he says this in um, J.W. McGarvey, who's a, a commentator, says, Paul meant not into what baptism, but what name. For when he hears their answer, he directs them to be baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. So it wasn't which, which baptism. It's like, which name were you baptized under? Because John didn't baptize in the name of Jesus. John didn't baptize into a name at all. He baptized into repentance and anticipation. But when you're baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, or baptized in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is the same way of saying baptized in who God's character is, that when you're baptized into that, then of course you would know who the Holy Spirit is. And of course, he would be indwelling us at the moment of belief. And so Jesus' baptism is, is this idea of being buried with Christ and being raised to new life. And recognizing who Jesus truly is. And so baptism, when I talk to people about baptism, I'll often use the analogy that it's like a wedding ceremony. That a baptism is when you are standing in front of family and friends you're saying your vows and who you want to live your life with. They say, I, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Do you accept him as your personal Lord and Savior? I do. Or yes. Upon that confession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Be buried with Christ and rise to new life. That, that baptism is that public profession of an inward confession. It's that external verbalization of your belief, of those vows, in the same way that at a wedding, husband and wife or bride and groom come together and say, this is who I want to live my life with externally, publicly, of that inward decision they'd already made. And so John's baptism, if you want to extend that analogy a little bit, John's baptism is kind of more this idea of like the engagement. Like, there's still commitment there, but it's, it's, and it's saying, I'm not going to follow anyone else. I'm not going to go after anyone else. I'm committed to you, but I'm anticipating our new life together. And so for them, for the, these 12 disciples to be still thinking of the anticipation and repentance, it's this idea that Jesus had already come. So for them to only think of it as an engagement, it's like they say they're married, but they've missed the point. They're trying really hard, but they've missed the point of, of who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, because we can't pretend that the Holy Spirit doesn't exist. And we can't truly be disciples if we don't recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so as we look at this idea, what I want to do is, is I'll close off this little section here, and then we'll turn our attentions to, to some application. Verse 6, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied, and there were about 12 men in all. Hence the, the topic, the other 12 disciples. Now, does that mean that every single time someone gives their life to the Lord that, that they speak in tongues? No. Does that mean that you've not really come to know the Lord until you speak with tongues? No. The tongues were used, especially in the book of Acts, as a way of symbolizing that the Holy Spirit's presence had come and affirming that those people who received the Holy Spirit were now part of the church. 
And so we see this in Acts 2 at Pentecost. We see this in Acts 8 with Philip and Samaria. We see this in Acts 10 with Cornelius. We see these different examples of when people believed, it showed that the Holy Spirit was no longer saying, well, you are Jewish and you are not. So there's a separation there. It's the fact that upon the Holy, when the Holy Spirit fell upon them, whomever it fell upon were able to have that external clarity that they are in the body of Christ, that the Holy Spirit has come down. And so this is where many people would say, well, if you don't speak in tongues, you've not really been baptized. Or, or you have to be baptized separately than a baptism in the name of Jesus in order to receive the Holy Spirit. But the truth is, is that we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes inside of us and dwells within us. But he's also the one that determines gifts. And he determines who has what gifts to what capacity. And that's another sermon for another time, but I wanted to at least address that briefly here. But for our main points today, or the main applications that we're going to hit on, is two ideas that we mentioned in the, in the main point. The idea that many disciples will focus so much on the repentance of sin that they will fail to recognize the importance of the Holy Spirit. So the first one we have on here is the idea of the repentance of sin. The repentance of sin and, and this idea that this is something that if you have attended church um, with any regularity is something that we often hear. That we come from a culture in which we look at things through the prism of someone who's either innocent or guilty. That we live in a culture of which it's not so much of who you are, but it's what you do. So you did wrong. And so this is guilt idea of, of repentance is, okay, I'm going to stop doing bad things. But if our lives are purely as Christians focused on just stop stopping doing bad things, we're not really taking hold of the life that God has for us. We may stop one thing without taking hold of the best thing. And so repentance, as we see, is necessary for walking with God. It's not that we don't talk about repentance. It's absolutely necessary for walking with God. In fact, Matthew Henry, a famous uh, preacher and commentator, writes this. He says, some people do not like to hear much of repentance, but I think it is so necessary that if I should die in the pulpit, I would desire to die preaching repentance. And if out of the pulpit, I would die, desire to die practicing it. That this idea of repentance is a, is a fancy word. It's, a, it's an Old Testament term. But it's this idea of literally just making a U-turn. It's you're going down one path. It's stopping in that path, recognizing that it's the wrong path, and making a complete 180 U-turn back towards God. So if, if I were to say, hey, I'm going to go, I want to make a trip to Mexico, and I go out and I take the 15 south, or I want to take the, the 5, whatever it is, but if I go out to the freeway, and instead of going south, I go north, and I say I want to go to Mexico, but I'm heading towards Los Angeles, then what that looks like is, okay, I see signs saying Los Angeles, 100 miles oh, cool, I thought I was going to Mexico. Oh, well, let's see if maybe it'll become Mexico. And then you go, like, you keep going, and then every time I pass an exit and that would allow me to stop, recognize that I'm going the wrong way, and then in that moment, get off on the exit, make a U-turn, and then go back to my original destination, every time I miss an exit, it's, an, it's showing that that's not really where I want to be going. For us, when we have these things in our lives in which we are saying, God, I want to follow you, I want to pursue you, I want to have the life that you have for me, but then I keep going and doing the same things I've always done, expecting a different result, I still fall into the same labels and think that that's what defines me. 
I still think that, okay, well, this is just how I am. This is just what I do. This is just my shortcomings. This is just how I'm going to live. And I never stop and actually make a U-turn. That I might say I want to be living for God. But my actions, my attitudes, and my focus shows that I'm going the other direction. So in my example earlier, when I show up in Los Angeles, I shouldn't be surprised I'm in Los Angeles when I never turned around and headed to Mexico. And so if we end up finding ourselves in a, in a life that is far from God, we should not be surprised because we have countless exits, countless off-ramps in which to make a U-turn, to recalibrate our lives, and to go in the direction that God has for us. So we can talk about repentance is necessary for walking with God. We have to do it. But that is not the only thing. It's a necessary thing, but not the only thing. Because our next point here is that the gospel is more than just behavior modification. It's more than just this idea of stop doing bad things. Should we stop doing bad things? Yes. Should we believe that that's all God has for us in eternal life? No. That, that Jesus talks about in John 17, 3, this idea that eternal life is knowing Jesus and the Father whom sent him. So if we just say, hey, listen, I'm, I, I gave my life to the Lord. I, I love Jesus. I'm just going to keep going down the way that I want. It's not just, that's not going to work. Yet if we only think, okay, I'm going back to Jesus and I'm, I'm not doing the things that I used to. I'm not falling into the labels that I used to believe about myself. I'm not going to keep doing these things, but I'm not becoming the person that God wants me to become. Then it's like I've shed snake skin, yet new skin is growing rather than becoming a new creation. It might be dead sins on the side, but... Maybe my heart isn't truly alive yet either with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we are so focused as a guilt and innocence culture that many times the church will buy into this and focus on the idea of saying, hey, don't do bad things. Don't do bad things. Just stop doing bad things. And then we just keep that as the, as the period to the end of our sentence of what discipleship looks like. Rather than the comma that says, yeah, stop doing bad things, but take hold of the best thing. A life with Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit. That um, I was reading an article that talked about how this idea, this article is specifically focusing on youth ministry, but we can extrapolate that. We can pull that to see the, lar the church at large. And so um, there's uh, Brian H. Cros Cosby, who's associate pastor of youth and families uh, at a church in Peachtree City, Georgia, says this legalistic teaching, this idea of just don't do bad things. Legalistic teaching has led to widespread belief in more, quote, moralistic, therapeutic deism, where, quote, we are supposed to be good people and where God is more like a cosmic therapist or divine butler. Moral in the sense of, okay, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna stop doing bad things. Therapeutic in the sense of, okay, we want to feel good about ourselves. Deism in the sense of there's a belief of some God, but not fully understanding who Jesus is, who God is, and who the Holy Spirit is. And so we continue on. There's another quote in that same article from Cameron Cole. And he says that if these actions, this idea of following just moralistic teaching, this, this idea that we buy into these things of just don't do bad things, if those actions that come out of that, if they come out of a student misunderstanding Christianity as a code of behavior rather than heart transformation through who? The Holy Spirit. 
then they do not necessarily reflect lasting life change. You say, don't do bad things, don't do bad things, don't do bad things. And what do people hear? They hear, oh, that's a lot of bad things. I wonder if they're really that bad. All my friends are doing bad things, so maybe that's not really that bad in the first place. And the focus becomes on the things rather than the thing that God wants to do in us. Focus on our actions rather than what God wants to act through us. So Timothy Keller He talks about this idea that the Lord cannot just be added to a life as one more hedge against failure, as one more thing to add on, but rather he's not one more resource to use to help us achieve our agenda, that he is a whole new agenda. That wide is the road that leads to destruction. It's not that God says, hey, go on the wide road, but here's the exact way I want you to avoid pitfalls. He says, hey, there's a whole other road. Don't go on the wide road that is broad and leads to destruction. Go on the narrow path that few will find, but those who do will find eternal life. And then lastly, Leonard Ravenhill has this quotation that says, Jesus did not come into this world to make bad men good. He came into the world to make dead men live. It's not about behavior modification. It's not just about don't do bad things. It's about becoming who God has created us to become, which doing bad things will be part of the fruit that was left behind when a bad tree becomes a good tree, but it's not the end of the story. And so we we took a few moments to look at the repentance of sin. Let's take a few moments to look at the next part of your notes is the importance of the Holy Spirit. The importance of the Holy Spirit. That in Francis Chan's book, Forgotten God, if you've not read it, I would encourage you to do so. It's all about the theology of the Holy Spirit. And the the title, Forgotten God, is implied in the fact that when we pray, we either say Heavenly Father or Lord Jesus. We rarely pray. We rarely live out the idea that the Holy Spirit is just as much a part of the Trinity as God the Father and God the Son. That in Genesis 1, that there was the Spirit that hovered over the void. But the Holy Spirit was there from the very beginning, and he's worked throughout this time. And now we have him indwelling as the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is indwelling within you and within me. But for many Christians, the Holy Spirit has either been misunderstood or missing altogether. Misunderstood in this idea of maybe thinking that it's only about speaking tongues. And so if I don't speak tongues, then I I don't really have the Holy Spirit in my life. Or, or maybe it's the idea of, of certain denominations that think if you haven't spoken in tongues, that means that you aren't really a Christian yet. And so then we kind of have these, these walls that are built up thinking, well, I, I, I think I'm a Christian, but yet I'm not like this. And so there's a misunderstanding of who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does. And the fact that the Holy Spirit isn't an it that we can just say, Holy Spirit, come do what we want. But he, he's a person. He's a being. He's part of the Trinity. He's not a tool in our toolbox. He's the one that allows us to be tools for God's kingdom. And so we see this idea that maybe we have some misunderstanding of who the Holy Spirit is. And and going into that more in depth will be another conversation for another day, probably more of a series rather than a, hey, I have a 30-minute sermon. But what I want to hit on are some quotations from Francis Chan that struck me as I was thinking about The idea that for many of us, the Holy Spirit has either been misunderstood or missing. Francis Chan, first one says, he's having read the scriptures outside of the context of our contemporary church culture. So just reading it and looking at especially the book of Acts as we've been going through it. 
you would be convinced that the Holy Spirit as is as essential to a believer's existence as air is to staying alive. That the Holy Spirit is what guided Paul on certain areas or blocked his way to go to certain places at a certain time. The Holy Spirit is that which has equipped believers in order to speak in various languages in order to reach people far from God all over the world. That the Holy Spirit is the one that imbued people with spiritual gifts to be able to be more than what they ever were before, not because of their own talents, but because he was working in them and using what God had already placed in them for not their own selfish ambition or vain conceit, but for the good of others, for the common good. He continues on. He says that there is a big gap between what we read in Scripture about the Holy Spirit and how most believers and churches operate today. The very few of us would say, well, I I felt the Holy Spirit was was leading me to to talk to this person, but that was probably just, you know, me not really, me just thinking that's what it's supposed to be. Or, Or rather than recognizing the Holy Spirit opens a door, we walk through that door. That if Jesus was here with us, we'd say, oh, man, if Jesus was here, how would, oh, do you know how, how, imagine how different your life would be if Jesus was sitting right there next to you. And in John, Jesus says, it's better for you if I leave because I'm about to give you a guide, a paraclete, an advocate, a counselor who's going to be with you. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm going to give you someone better than if I were just present with you. Because instead of Jesus being next to you in a chair, it's the Holy Spirit being inside of you wherever you go. And so, lastly, we see that if we're honest with ourselves, we understand something very important is missing. And Francis Chan says, I believe that this missing something is actually a missing someone, namely the Holy Spirit. Because without him, people operate in their own strength and only accomplish human-sized results. And he he says next, he says, when we forget about the Spirit, we really are forgetting God. The importance of the Holy Spirit cannot be overstated. And if we've misunderstood that, or if he's missing in our daily lives, then that's something that we need to be aware of, we need to repent of, we need to ask God to, to fill us with his spirit so that we could take hold of the life that he has for us. Not that we just stop saying or keep saying don't do bad things, but that we could take hold of the good things he has for us. And the last point there for you is that God does not need more, quote, well-behaved disciples. He needs disciples living by the power of the Holy Spirit. That if we came into this room and and all of us were well behaved, but we weren't intentionally trying to reach out those on the outside that were, quote, not well behaved. If we were well behaved, but only able to achieve human-sized results because we're relying on our own abilities, rather than being able to have God-sized results of seeing people who are far from God, drawn near to God, and brought into the kingdom of God through the people of this church, That we would see these rows starting to get filled more because we're not just going to show up and say, I I, I want to start talking to my friend about Jesus. We start bringing our friends so they know not just that the preacher with a mic next to his his face can talk about Jesus, but because you are already investing and talking to them about Jesus all throughout the week, that they want to know what's different about you. That they want to see what has made you not just a, a, a person who was once bad, who was now good. What has made you a person who was dead that is now alive? 
that we see, if it's true that the Spirit of God dwells in us and that our bodies are the Holy Spirit's temple, then shouldn't there be a huge difference between the person who has the Spirit of God living inside of him or her and the person who does not? That we would let our good deeds shine so much before men that they would praise us? No, that they would praise our Heavenly Father. That we would live such good lives among people who don't know Jesus that though they may try to mock us, they would recognize that something's different about us and something is good, not because of our own goodness, because our goodness is as filthy rags, but because of the goodness of God has permeated our lives in such a real, vibrant, tangible way that people could not help but see the change. It's not just about our actions, but our attitudes. The world is not moved by love or actions that are of human creation. And the church is not empowered to live differently from any other gathering of people without the Holy Spirit. But when believers live in the power of the Spirit, the evidence in their lives is supernatural. The church cannot help but be different, and the world cannot help but notice. It's the moment when someone who is terminally ill is able to have such an impact and minister to nurses and medical personnel because they have a hope that is beyond this world. And so they are able to minister and reach for Jesus, people who are surrounded by death every day because in these people, medical personnel are able to see true life. It's the fact that when someone has wronged somebody and that there is now the opportunity to provide forgiveness, that it's a true, authentic forgiveness that says, I can forgive you not because I am able on my own strength, maybe not even because I want to, but because I know that while I was a sinner, God forgave me through the blood of Jesus. And it's that life-giving forgiveness that I want to give to you as well. Maybe it's just the example that students could be in their classrooms, that employees can be in their workplaces, that fathers and mothers and children could be in their extended family. Maybe it's just the fact that when the Holy Spirit takes hold of us, there's nothing we could do to stop them from working. Unless we don't recognize the importance of him. Unless we focus too much on not doing bad things rather than taking hold of the thing that he has planned for us from the beginning. He who began a good work in us will bring it to completion as the Holy Spirit comforts and guides and shapes and intercedes for us. And Francis Chan, he mentions this last one that says, I don't want my life to be explainable without the Holy Spirit. Right now, if someone were to ask you about your life, would they be able to say, oh, well, you know what? That person's got a good life because they're really smart. Uh, they've been able to be really wise with financial decisions. They've, you know, they've, they've carried themselves from their bootstraps and made a person of themselves and not mention at all the power of God. Would your life be explainable without the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you, changing you, helping you to be respond to others in a way that you know you wouldn't have done so before you came to know Jesus? Has he called you to do something that you've been afraid to do because it's uncomfortable? Recognizing that no degree of discomfort that we experience in this world will ever get anywhere close to the degree of discomfort that Jesus, who knew perfect unity and trinity in heaven, came down from that perfect unity so that 
he could sleep in a horse's trough and take hold of hunger and thirst and heartache and pain in human form. But by doing that, he gave us life. Is your life explainable without the Holy Spirit? Are you trying really hard to be a good disciple, but missing the point completely because you're focusing so much, as many of us naturally do in our culture, we focus so much on just not doing bad things. And I'll, I'll just keep repenting of my bad things. I'll keep repenting of my bad things. I'll keep repenting of my bad things. And all of a sudden, I say I'm going to Mexico, but I end up in Los Angeles. I say that I'm following God, but I end up distantly far from him. Are you in need of that kind of repentance today? To make a U-turn to say, I'm not going to go the way my life is wanting me to go. I'm going to walk back towards God. And when you do, we see in the, the prodigal son that when we start back that path, God doesn't just say, took you long enough. Finally. I told you that was the wrong path. He runs up and he puts you in to his robe and showing that, that you are now into the family again. He gives you the ring to show that you have an inheritance. He gives you the sandal that says that you are not a slave, but you are a son of mine. And he brings you back into that relationship, that right relationship that had nothing to do with how good we are, but the fact that we stop and we repent and we make a U-turn and we start that first step back to him. And when we do, he lovingly brings us back into his family. Are you in need of repentance? Are you trying really hard but missing the point? Is your life explainable without the Holy Spirit? I'm going to close with a, a brief story called The Song of the Bird by Tony DeMello. It says that a man found an eagle's egg and he put it in the nest of a barnyard hen. The, eagle, the eaglet hatched with the brood of all the chicks and grew up with them. And all his life, the eagle did what the barnyard chicks did, thinking that he was a barnyard chick. He scratched the earth for worms and insects. He clucked and cackled, and he would thrash his wings and fly a few feet into the air. And years passed, and this eagle grew very old. One day he saw a magnificent bird above him in the cloudless sky. And it glided in graceful majesty among the powerful wind currents and with scarcely a beat of his strong golden wings. And the eagle looked up in awe and said, what bird is that? That's the eagle, came the reply, the king of the birds. He belongs to the sky, but we belong to the earth. For we are just chickens. So the eagle lived and died a chicken, for that is what he thought he was. Francis Chan's final quotation for this morning says, I want to live a life so that I am truly submitted to the Spirit's leading on a daily basis. Christ said it's better for us that the Spirit came, and I want to live like that is true. I don't want to keep crawling when I have the ability to fly. I don't want to be someone who just is like everybody else and says, oh, there's a few holy people who do great things, but that's not for us. 
That's for them. That's for, the, that's for the pastors. That's for the missionaries. That's for those special few. But Jesus didn't die just for a special few to be experiencing Holy Spirit power in their lives. He died so that all of us who were once far from God would be brought near to him. That he didn't die just for my sins, but for the sins of the whole world. That he recognized that the Holy Spirit living inside of us was better so that we don't just live our lives pecking around and hoping that we can move up in the pecking order and hope that we can just live the life that the world tells us to live. But instead, he wants us to look up and fix our eyes upon him and say, why are you living this way when you were created to fly? May we not live and die as Christians who are trying really hard, but we're missing the point because we're just like chickens who are pecking away at the ground when you've been created to soar on wings like eagles. And then when you're weary, you will not faint. You will walk, you'll not grow tired, but you will experience the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. So for us, many of us may focus so much on repentance of sin that we fail to recognize the importance of the Holy Spirit. But may this day be the day where that stops. And may this day be the day where you and I and we make a decision that this day forth, we are not focusing just on not doing bad things, but we're going to take hold of our good God and whatever thing he calls us to do. Father, we thank you for this morning and we thank you that you are here in this place. And Holy Spirit... We thank you that you call people to yourself. You call people, men and women and children, to Jesus. That our job is to bring Jesus to men. Holy Spirit, your job is to bring men and women to Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray that you are stirring inside of our hearts this morning. Whether that's a stirring of, of a need for repentance, whether that's a stirring for a need to take hold of the power that you have for us, whether it's a stirring just to long to know you more and better and deeper, or whether that's a stirring for us to stop pecking around, called on the ground, when you want us to live an entirely different life. Jesus, thank you for coming and dying. Holy Spirit, thank you for residing within us. And Father, thank you that you know each of us by name. And may we call upon yours this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we continue on with our time of worship this morning, we're going to sing a song, I Believe. For some of you, this may be what it is that you need to proclaim this morning. For some of you, you need to come forward, and, and, and I know it's tough to come forward. I know with the lights on and, and with people standing and people coming to the front, I get it. It's not easy. But I also know that often the first step back to God is never an easy step. So would you be willing, if you're in a place of needing that repentance to turn back to God and make that you turn, would you be willing to come forward? If you need intercession just for someone to pray for you, to experience the life that God has for you, would you come forward? And if you don't need to come forward, that's okay too, because maybe God's doing a good work in you right now, and, and if you need to work or pray afterwards or talk with someone afterwards, that's okay. But whatever you need to do to respond to what God and the Holy Spirit are revealing to you, may we, may you, may I do so now as we continue with our service. Will you stand with me as we continue with our time of worship?